0: Welcome back to The Rewind, I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about John Woo's Silent Night. Joining us today, he put on his Rudolph sweater just for the occasion. It's Josh Brown. Josh, how's it going?
1: Silent Night. My God, that was, I'm sorry, one of the worst performances I've ever heard.
0: <laughs> need to start over again.
1: <laughs> also, also, Woo, woo,
0: whoo. <laughs> also joining us, it's our it's our action movie correspondent. He has not yet picked a day where he's going to kill everybody. It's Daniel Ema. Daniel, what's going on?
1: Uh, that's what you think. <laughs> Happy to be here. Happy to be, to be here.
0: Uh, so, Silent Night is the first English language film from acclaimed action director John Woo in about twenty years since the acclaimed ben affleck movie paycheck by acclaimed i mean very much not acclaimed uh it's decent it's decent <laughs> okay I, I i i never gotten your paycheck thoughts before and i have not watched paycheck since around the time it came out so you know 12 year old josh you know uh probably would have had different would have different standards than if a uh, 32 year old josh watched it but you know uh john wu decided to you know make make his return though to um english language films with uh this movie silent night which takes place over the course of a year but we kind of pick up on christmas eve in 2021 we see a guy running around uh, the industrial Los Angeles in a Rudolph sweater, uh, t- chasing down some gang members. And turns out he's trying to chase them down because these gang members were engaged in a shootout, and it killed his son. Uh, the, our protagonist is Brian God- his name's Godluck. God godlock. Okay, for a second, I thought I said lock. That would have that would have been funnier. Uh Brian Godlock, he's played by Joel Kinnaman. Uh he and uh when he when he tracks down these gangbangers, he's uh he, he's trying to get a couple of licks in on them but they shoot him in the throat and uh leave him to die. But he doesn't die because they shot him in the throat, he no longer has any vocal cords, so he is unable to speak and uh the conceit of this movie is that it's basically a film without dialogue as we see him spend the next year kind of uh shedding away everything in his life that he cares about other than just uh, honing himself to become a killer so he can track these guys down uh daniel i'm gonna start with you you wrote about this film at disappointment media i read your review before i did this and uh you didn't love this movie but a, a big reason why you didn't love this movie is probably because it wasn't really like showcasing what John Woo does best and I'm curious what why you can can you kind of talk about why vintage John Woo means so much to you as an action movie connoisseur someone who has done this podcast many times and been critical of many action movies that have received great acclaim John Woo is like seems like he probably has some kind of standard that you really respect when he can hit it and he just didn't do it here so what what, what does John
1: Woo his best mean to you I mean, he is the greatest action movie director ever. It's the boring answer. You know, it's the answer that pretty much everybody gives, regardless of how well-versed they are in kind of action cinema, Hong Kong cinema, Uh, doesn't matter, like, everyone says it and you know sometimes everyone says this one thing is the greatest thing ever made because it is and he is the greatest action director uh his run in the 80s from uh Better Tomorrow he got the killer he got hard boiled he got uh Better Tomorrow 2 which you know JB I know stumps for uh better than the first he says right oh hell yeah he he made like this series of action films after a career of I don't want I don't want to go too far into his uh, biographical details, but he came up through the kind of Hong Kong film industry, working his way from the bottom. You know, he started off uh, at Shaw, I believe, as like a second unit director working under like Cheng Cha. Um, And then he became one of Golden Harvest guys, you know, uh, making these really fucking awful comedies. Uh, I only have seen a handful, but oh my God, just dearth of comic timing and humor and all the things that make him great.
2: They were successful.
1: They were successful up to a point. Then by the time he gets to A Better Tomorrow, which is kind of the, the movie that kind of makes him the kind of legend that he is, he's on a career downswing. He's unsatisfied with, you know, the work that he's done. Uh, I, from my understanding, Troy Hark kind of produces it as almost a favor to him. And uh, yeah, it ends up ushering this heroic bloodshed genre into essence, And yeah, he goes on to make these operatic, melodramatic, you know, high octane action films that weave this sort of like tawdry melodrama into these some of the grandest and largest scale and most beautiful uh, action set pieces ever committed to film. Uh, then he bums around America for a decade after the handover, uh, making movies that range from pretty good, like, you know, Broken Arrow, People Stump For, uh, I Love Hard Target, um, you know, obviously there's Face Off two uh not very good which include uh wind talkers and a paycheck and
2: mission impossible two
1: and mission impossible two of <laughs> course yeah wait quickly quick, quick quick aside are you like a mission impossible Two to stand
0: daniel it seems like your kind of contrarian streak might be something you'd be into
1: i was really hoping that it would be but sadly even i can't really get behind it although watching you know this movie i was like maybe i was too hard on it
2: like the paradox of it is it's probably his most commercially successful film like both in hong kong and you know United States while also it being probably the nadir of his career while yeah. also having some of the best like action sequences up until that point in that era of the franchise
0: okay so so he made a lot of bangers but what about his style that resonates with you so much as someone that like is just a voracious action
1: movie kind of sort consumer Well, he kind of just lit up my imagination really early on. I think me and JB were both big John Woo fans, like kids, like JB at least was like he grew up with movies. But me, I knew John Woo as the guy who made those movies with Chow Yun Fat, where like he's diving around in slow motion, firing off two guns. I had seen the action scenes as like, you know, a 12 year old online. And even out of context, I was just gobsmacked. Uh, It actually led to me renting Bulletproof Monk from the library because I'm like, oh, Chow Yun-Fat's in this. And that's how I learned that, no, it's not the main actor who kind of makes the identity of a film. Yeah, he just, you know, I have responded to it in kind of the same way that everybody does. They're just absolutely incredible films. Uh, they, They kind of are the kind of apex of action cinema. They come at just the right time. He is a director with a lot of who's been accorded a lot of commercial success, accorded a lot of authority by the studio. He's working in Hong Kong in the 80s when you still have a bunch of, you know, stuntmen and, you know, people who have worked in the action cinema for like, you know, decades at this point. Uh, Lots of stuntmen, very hungry and very willing to put their lives at risk in order to make up, get a movie made. And, you know, Free handover, not having to worry about Chinese censorship, you know, not having to worry, I guess, about labor laws. It's just the perfect storm for, you know, and also Wu bringing in these sort of influences that he did. He was, of course, came up through the Hong Kong studio system. You can see, you know, Chang Cha and even King Hu like weighing heavily on his filmography. But uh, he also brought in these outside influences like. Uh, paw
2: Scorsese, like especially in terms of their relation to their Christian faith.
1: You know, these weighty sort of themes that he would tackle about brotherhood and cultural identity and like you know whether pe- men can leave behind a life of violence and I do specify men uh he was never great with like dealing with women in his films ask
2: John Wu his thoughts about Emerald for now
1: <laughs> oh yeah I mean God I would love to I would love to hopefully we see eye to eye Josh I
0: think it's you obviously uh, you're obviously like not as big of an action movie guy guys Daniel but I know John Wu means a lot to you uh so do you have a do you have any kind of other feelings to, d- different from daniel as to like kind of how you came to be such a fan and uh what what it, what, what your expectations were seeing him coming back to english language
2: uh, by the way i would push back on him coming back to the english language just because there's no language spoken in <laughs> fair, fair. I... Uh, <laughs> uh,
0: yeah american production even though even though apparently they filmed in mexico city which is interesting
2: yep <laughs> um okay so those who are listening that are not like millennials um like there is a time in which when you go on the internet or whatever all i had was like these trailers for these old movies mostly from like the 80s and 90s and i stumble across the trailer for the killer which i maintain is one of the best trailers for a movie i've ever seen in my life and then even better is the movie itself which lived up to like the trailer so the killer was my formal introduction uh to john woo and that's one of my favorite movies of all time not just one of my favorite action movies but like one of my 10 favorite films um oh. and then from there hard-boiled and then you know the rest of his hong kong uh filmography um from like better tomorrow to uh last off for chivalry which is pretty good but for me like with woo it's not just that he's like this great action director and like you know the thing that people think of when it comes to woo aside from flying doves (laughs) is the balletic action but for me it's also it's the melodrama like i think if you strip away the action from the killer and hard boil i think they would work on their own as very compelling dramas. I think he's one of our great, you know, melodramatic directors in the vein of like a Pedro Amadovar or Douglas Sirk or Todd Haynes. Like, I would put him in that category first and foremost. And I think the problem he had when he came to the English language is that all his operatic and melodramatic flourishes just didn't quite gel with American sensibilities when it's actually in the English language. It comes off as a little bit too over the top for our taste. And I think that's why like mission impossible Two, kind of fails. And also the other part of it too, is the fact that his Hollywood work is more compromised. He was not initially trusted by Hollywood producers when he came over here famously, when he made hard target, um, he had Sam Raimi like be the producer of the film and kind of protect him from the studio um, yeah, playing
1: interference, which apparently there's this quote where he says, listen, guys, like Jamu giving like 70 percent in an American movie is still like better than like 100 percent of American directors making an American action movie. And uh, Silent Night for me is what if he gave you nothing? What if he <laughs> gave you zero percent?
2: And, uh, and by the way, also daniel might be your action movie connoisseur but i'm your old uh, aging auteur doing a technical exercise like this is yeah yeah Yeah, this is john wu's gemini man (laughs) 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 look i'm like you know i it's not just that i consider him one of the great action directors i consider him one of the great directors of all time so i'm here i like to he- see him return to Hollywood, I was going to be there no matter what. Now, my expectations were a little bit lower just on the basis of the fact that I know he's old and also his Hollywood work um, isn't his best. So like
1: and also his post Hollywood work isn't his best. You've seen Manhunt.
2: I haven't seen Manhunt yet or Red Cliff, um, which I actually I hear Red Cliff is actually pretty good. That being said. All I expected was, all right, this is maybe a director for hire job. Like I, and also to quote Raimi, you know, giving his his not 100% is still better than most directors giving their, you know, 100%. So I, I went in that and I actually, I think I came out of liking Silent Night more than most. I actually thought it lived up to, my limited exp and also i have a personal connection to this movie as well what's that it's about a dude recovering from an injury and he's spending like a whole year recovering that hit hard. Yeah, one of the first
1: one of the first scenes is him trying to walk and i'm like oh fuck it's jb bait isn't it <laughs> no,
0: no, no.
2: literally the first like 20 minutes of the movie where like like he gets this life-altering injury where he's like shot in the throat and he can no longer talk um and then you're seeing how miserable he is like recovering from that and also like the fact that it's taking him a year like it's not like something that, like, all right, overnight he's able to like fight these bad guys. No, no, no. I actually thought maybe he got off the cane a little bit too quickly. You know, like
1: that was like that's, that's JB's one studio <laughs> note. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, th- I think Joel Kinneman
0: might be built a little differently than you. Before, um, before, before I, I go back to Daniel, one last thing, Josh. I, you I mean you mentioned the melodrama, and me as someone that's. I had really only now seen the killer. I've just, you know, Daniel gave me homework and I probably wish I had had time to do more, but I even picked up on that. Like that, I could tell that's a big part of how, of just like how he, how he operates and there are just a lot of a lot of melodramatic moments even within the course of that hour and 50 minute movie but like you said maybe in in on prior occasions it didn't translate quite right to america or maybe it might have seemed like over the top or whatever Uh, i'm gonna ask the the same question to daniel too but like how how does this does this conceit interest you at all does this as an exercise and does that maybe temper some of the tendency to maybe to to maybe go over the top with the melodramaticism that in, in a way that makes it work more for you than maybe it otherwise would compare to some of his other American movies
2: um actually here's the thing when it comes to like the conceit this is the thing that I would my main takeaway from the film was that John Wu is such a masterful visual storyteller that there's many times during the movie that I kind of forgot about the gimmick
0: where it was like me too me too
2: yeah like where I would go there would be long stretches where I'd be like Oh yeah, they haven't said anything now. Where I kind of found it a little bit funny is that it makes sense that Joel Kinnaman doesn't say anything, but it's just kind of funny that the movie is so committed to the gimmick that the people around him are not talking. Either. His wife
0: could still talk to him. That would be quicker than texting. You know, she just go up and ask him something to his face.
1: Harder to ignore her then. You know. Yeah, I'm I'm of two minds because on the one hand, I agree. I think that. Pretty quickly, I think it becomes clear, oh yeah, John Wu, the master visual storyteller, is able to tell a story without dialogue. In fact, I kind of wish that he did this fucking earlier when I had to sit through his fucking uh, Charlie Chaplin riff, which was not dialogue-free, and instead just full of fucking noise. God, I hated that movie. But the thing is, it's a double-edged sword, I guess, because on the one hand, I very quickly was like, oh, he's able to do this. But then it just becomes a pretty standard like revenge there then it becomes okay well what else do you have once it becomes very clear that he's able to communicate this also i mean admittedly john Wu, it's not like his dialogue was kind of his appeal ever as a director so like did you did you, did you guys either of you read david rog's review no uh, no he he said an american john Wu movie without
0: dialogue is like a sofia coppola movie without a thermonuclear explosion you don't really feel the absence of what's missing <laughs>
2: Oh and like I saw um I saw it with my friend JD and like you know he was actually kind of annoyed by the gimmick um but he was just like the one thing that I appreciate with the gimmick, though, is that since this is like you know in the vigilante genre, and so if you actually like question the racial politics of this film, um, you know it's it's pretty regressive in that regard. And so he was like, "Yeah, the one thing about not having the dialogue, it was good because it just like kept away all the racist stuff <laughs> that they probably <laughs> wouldn't be saying." So,
1: well, well, t- before we get off of that, the um, I kind of wish that the gimmick went a little further i i actually did appreciate some of the artifice of the gimmick i appreciated those moments where like you think that somebody's talk gonna talk and then they don't because at least there the film is kind of distinguishing itself from the kind of milieu that it's operating in because otherwise which is i think we're getting to the, the my main issue yes with uh with silent night is that it just it just doesn't feel like John Woo's doing John Wu.
0: So I was gonna ask you though, like let's just say you walked into this and you had no idea who directed it. Like,
1: do you think you would have given it a thumbs up at the end of the day? There is somebody on Twitter, I forget who it was, I think it was Christian V, genre film addict. Um, he said that if he had walked into this movie and you know it was Scott Waugh directed this or something, he probably would have enjoyed it more. And I actually do agree with that sentiment. Insofar as like, you know, I try not to judge a movie based on what it is, and I guess, but like the fact of the matter is in the year 2023, right, we there's such a dearth of like the kind of qualities that John Woo would bring to his films, even his American films, even into something as kind of mercenary as paycheck, that it would have been so welcome to get those sorts of touches without those sorts of touches. And considering that the gimmick is I think fairly easy to accept. Then it just becomes okay. This this just feels like him doing a kind of DTV movie that escaped to theaters. And who likes those kind of movies? I do <laughs> normally like those kind of movies, but like even so, they they I tend to find them pretty forgettable. Uh, something like Netflix is a blood and blood in sand, I think it was called, or or blood and gold. That's what it was, or something like Plane, which we talked about earlier this year, uh, which I did not like. You know, they're, they're these sort of
0: this films. year has been a long fucking year. When we, when, when, <laughs> when, when, before we, when I was thinking earlier today, like when was the last time I did a podcast with them? Like, what was the name of that M- in my Shimon movie? When did that come out?
1: Like, oh shit, that was this year. This is just a long ass yeah, year, guys. Yeah. I just I, had that thought already. I
2: didn't forget it. One of the ten best movies of the year.
1: <laughs> Insane that you still have it in your ten. I love it, but the um, but yeah, no, like these sorts of movies, these sort of kind of like actioners, these kind of like um, action pot boilers, I guess they're they're fine they're serviceable they provide you exactly what you expect and nothing more but see that's a key word exactly what you expect and from john wu i just i do kind of expect more even knowing the, that he's operating on such a limited budget even knowing that he's operating within the confines of 2023 hollywood you just you just hope for something a little bit more even if it doesn't fully work and here he's not even really i feel truly experimenting spreading his wings creatively it 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 just feels like anybody could have done this
2: see you know like a movie that you could kind of compare it to is um fincher's the killer where that's a similar like a master auteur taking on boilerplate material but in that case it becomes self-portraiture of the director. Like, you can see all of Fincher's obsessions and his perspective and stuff being expressed through this boilerplate material, which kind of makes it interesting within his filmography because it's sort of commenting on it whereas with this film one of my to the it's like you know I told Daniel this like it lacks all the wooisms to the point where it doesn't even have the dove it's a different bird
1: <laughs> although although look the, the moment i saw that parrot i was like oh that's a fuck you however i will admit that i did not know this because i don't speak spanish it takes place not in la but in los palamos and los palamos translated into english is the dove <laughs>
2: that sneaky devil woo
1: (laughs) yeah but however i mean but you the only reason i know that it's los palamos is because when he walks into the police station at one point the name of the city is there and it's nothing else so like it's not like he's bringing you like any of the style the kind of like stylistic flourishes that like other directors would kind of mimic in their attempts to kind of like ape john woo like you know like easily imitable is like the Two guns firing, people leaping through the air, the slow motion. And here, it's all not there. I've heard some people commend, like, the slow motion. And it's like, the slow motion that's here, it's so paltry. It's so, like, kind of just thrown into a random action beat that doesn't really magnify the emotion of a scene. Because, you know, you see John Woo doing slow motion in, like, Hard Boiled. And it's to emphasize kind of in the same way that slow motion was used through a lot throughout Hong Kong cinema. It, it's always used to accentuate sort of an emotion or an action. And here it's just it, it feels like the kind of slow motion that became pretty commonplace after John Woo became popular, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah, like, with this film, you know, and again, I'm less bothered by it in so far as, like, my expe- expectations were measured in in the sense of, like, I was not expecting the highs of, like, The Killer Hard Boiled, where, like, the thing about- I the, was
1: expecting, oh, let me be clear, I was expecting the highs of Paycheck.
2: This is how, like, I view it, is where, like, all the action within the film is competently done, but it lacks- the idiosyncrasies of like prior Wu films, like whereas like say Mission Impossible 2, which I think is a worse film overall, like the action sequences in that film, like you you remember the motorcycle stuff, the balladic stuff that he brings to it. And here, like there's a wonder in the film, which now like all action movies kind of do now is the, the you know, fight. Like again, like John Wick 4 kind of did the same scene, but arguably better.
1: And I should note that uh, Jeremy Marinus was the stunt coordinator who is the choreographer on John Wick 4. He's one of the 8711 guys, hmm. uh, which yeah, that's the style that has become kind of like commonplace today. You see it in a lot of even lower budget action films. And yeah, it, it just feels like a kind of, him just going along with the current trend.
2: Yeah. But having said that though, I would also argue that in the context of a man of a director's career where he's in his seventies, like this action again, like this action movie is a pretty well-made movie, especially when it has like this gimmick um, and that he fully succeeds in delivering where like, again, like there's stretches of it that I completely forgot that like, um they weren't talking and so when i measure it as like all right john Wu is doing director for hire work on like his version of death wish fine it's it's okay it's serviceable now and also like that anonymity that it's in the movie might like ruffles uh the feathers of uh some people i was uh, yeah i was at least like compensated with this really moving story about this guy recovering from his injury and trying to <laughs> restore justice <laughs> for his son.
1: So well, I, I will say that like the emotion of the film, I felt, I think this is kind of where the gimmick undercuts what I kind of want from a John Woo movie. I suppose uh, I was thinking about this when I, as I rewatched this for this podcast, cause I'm so goddamn dedicated, I'm watching it and I'm like seeing him kind of lie in his son's bed and weep. Uh, for, you know, 20, 30 minutes into the movie. And I'm like, yeah, I don't feel anything. I appreciate what I'm doing is I'm appreciating how this is kind of put together in a kind of just, you know, mercenary way. Sure. In a way that is totally anonymous. Sure. But at least it does work to you know JB's point. But, like, because of the artifice, like I also just can't get in there uh, emotionally.
2: I got I felt the pathos like towards the end when he's seeing these like balloons that uh, visually illustrate his relationship with his son. I okay, thought that, that
1: it's, look, here's the thing. that moment. okay, so there's a couple moments where like he's doing maybe a kind of little touch, but like those moments are so few and far between, and they're so lazy that like I was even more frustrated by them. So like that moment, for example, he's seeing these little balloons, spoiler alert, uh, he dies at the end and he's seeing these balloons and seeing like the visions of his fam of, you know, the the life he led with his little son. But then you also get a shot in there of him graduating high school, like a a sort of what could have been. And I'm like, okay, but that's the only one. And the rest around, it's not even the first one or the last one. It's like, in the middle of this midst of balloons that are just childhood <laughs> memories, so I'm like, all right. So what the fuck was the point of that? Why do, would you? Why would you not take it through the course of a life that was not led? Or why would you not commit to him just being a little kid early on in the film when she's in the when he gets to the hospital and his wife goes to meet him? There are these weird kind of static digital zooms. That does not occur at any other point in the movie. I checked. I was watching, waiting for that to happen again. And it's not. It's like he had an idea at the beginning of shooting and then just went, eh, fuck it. You know, at the beginning of post, I suppose. He was like, fuck it. I'm not going to do that again. Um, these, it's so haphazard and so half-hearted that like it's even more frustrating to me.
2: See, that's the problem. His melodramatic heart goes over the heads of us <laughs> Americans. Okay, okay.
1: Hey, look, I love melodramatic John Woo, to be clear. Right before I watched this for the first time as a screener, I watched Bullet in the Head, which is maybe his that's most- the one one of That's his most the one I don't like. Ones. Well, that's- I loved it. It was my second favorite, I think, out of all of his work. And that one is dripping with sort of this sort of like feeling and emotion, and you know the bonds between brothers. Wait,
2: wait, oh, by the way, I just gotta like, like I gotta like chime in here and like say that, like, just keep in mind, Daniel has the crazy take that Hard Target is his best American movie, better than Face Off, better than yeah. <laughs> Broken Arrow. Well, I haven't yes, seen Broken now. Arrow to be fair, but no, I think you said like. Very blasphemous that you put hard target over the killer.
1: Yeah, I think I would. That's
2: fucking insane. That's fucking insane. That's, that's wrong. I remember. I don't know
1: what to tell you. My, my, remember, my mother called me. My mother. My mother named me Chance because I took one. I love it. I love it.
2: I remember, like, um, with one of your other guests, um, Ben Lubin, who's also a huge Wu fan. It, I remember, like, you know, amongst Wu fans, like, it's always like a battle between which one's better, the killer or hard target, right? It's the Pepsi versus Coke argument. And Daniel comes in, he's like, a better tomorrow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Lubin was like, look everybody's entitled to their own opinion. That's not right.
1: <laughs> Here's the thing. To be fair to me, a better tomorrow is the movie that sort of catapulted him into the status that he has today. I think that it's, I do yeah. think it's a fair sort of like contender.
2: Yeah. But that's like saying like mean streets better than Goodfellas and taxi driver.
1: You know, I haven't seen mean streets. Mm-hmm. I can say Hugo you know. is. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. Um, I was I, no, no, the only thing I was going to ask before was like, I mean, you're you're saying you didn't really connect with it emotionally all that much compared to some of this other stuff. And I had thought to ask you, like, what do you think? Do you think it would have been different for you if like they had started this thing 10 minutes earlier just with like him spending family time? And I'm like, that would have only gone so far if you wanted to still make it a silent film. I don't know if you could really make the audience fall in love with the five-year-old kid if you were still doing like a silent movie, you know, it might need to like have dialogue.
1: Well, I think that John Woo in his prime could have managed to make that happen, Mm -hmm. you know? And the thing is, I did have that thought, like, what if we had seen more of the family? And I think that what that would have provided was a little bit more shading for Kinnaman's character because even though I think mechanically the film sort of works in a kind of generic revenge thriller kind of manner, I do think that Kinnaman's character, I mean, he is pretty unlikable. Like it's pretty hard to root for him. I found, uh, beyond, you know, I, I know that JB was, had an in, but, but yeah. I, I just, well, I, but
0: well, like, speaking of being a, speaking of like being hard to root for, I, I was worried cause you guys mentioned earlier about like, you know, how, you know, from a racial politics perspective, it might have been better to not have dialogue. I had the thought before I realized it was going to be completely clear that it was like a whole gangbanging situation. He was going to be able to track down specific gang members when they're when they're driving back from the hospital and he's just eyeing Hispanic people on the street. I was like, oh, God, like, is is this why this movie got such bad?
1: Or is, is that why this movie got such bad reviews? OK, side note, sidebar for that. Like this is I mean, if you wanted to make the argument that this was John Wu going full conservative. It, it would be very hard <laughs> to like disabuse you of the notion because yeah, he like is, John there's like, yeah. He, when he's coming home from the hospital, he's looking at all these Hispanic people on the street. Uh, he's looking at the graffiti that says like, fuck the cops. And, There's just a lot of leering shots at like, you know, just Hispanic people just going about their business. At the end of one of the action set pieces, there was this guy who was like recording the action set piece and sending it to like the main villain. Joel Kidman doesn't even see him in the course of the set piece. And at the end of the set piece, he sees the guy walking down the street with his phone and he just fucking runs into him. (laughs) I'm like, you didn't even know that that guy was was there. Also, there's the weird treatment of the uh, kind of there's like a side character who's like a drug addicted girlfriend to the villain. And it's clear that she's like being like victimized by the guy, like being fed drugs in order to keep her docile and kind of like loyal. And yet John Woo fucking hates this woman. Like, it's so clear that he's disgusted by what she is. Well, did you expect Did you expect
0: this guy who, by your own admission, was never really great with woman characters to get better at it as he, as he approached 80 (laughs) years old? No, I did not. No, I did (laughs)
1: not. I
2: don't know. uh, I've always considered John Woo, woke King.
1: Based on what?
2: Based on the fact that. Oh, uh, I like his movies, and so there must <laughs> not be anything morally objectionable to it. um Actually, by the way, the one like weird gender comment, I must say, like this might be politically incorrect, but I used to say that there's like two type of men in this world. There's those who uh love the killer, and those who haven't seen it yet. Journavoy, which one are you?
0: Oh no, I I really liked it. I don't know if I'm like as quite as high on it as you but like how wait (laughs)
2: how could you not be how could you not be
0: (laughs) i liked it I don't, I, I, it's not in my top 10 movies of all time though. Like, like it is for you. And yeah, like, I, I know, I, think I, my... know,
1: I know it's a dense plot also like, no, you know. no, I, I, I did
0: not have trouble with it. Yeah, no, like, okay. I, like I told the, you, the... I, I tried I tried to start hard boil, like three different times and like kept
1: getting frustrated. It, I mean, that, that was a few years ago. I, 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 mean, I Well, I, to be fair, to... Hardboiled is a movie that began shooting without a script. Like that first, like, like most of the movie I think was shot without a script or as they were writing it.
0: Yeah. Right, so I was a little yeah. apprehensive going into the killing and the killing is like actually, or excuse me, the killer. And the killer is actually like, pretty easy to follow compared to you yeah, know the
2: killer i always said like had a very like like a very simple plot like all uh-huh. right he feels guilty that this like singer uh woman like went blind during like a shootout and so he's like protective over her like that that's very quick hard boils and the then the other that...
1: guy is like and then the other guy is sort of like okay uh
2: the cop i, I am I, I
1: am i am the defender of law and order and yet this guy who exists outside of this paradigm is operating outside of it and yet remains moral Uh, What does that say about my chosen path? What does that say about his? And yeah, these are the kinds of deep sort of themes that are completely absent in Silent Night. In Silent Night, the question is, you know, hey, what if this uh, what if this kid dies and it makes this man become a fucking badass. Funnily enough, I will not say overnight.
2: that. Not like... overnight. Not overnight. That's the what <laughs> I overnight. appreciate Importantly.
1: It. Very importantly. It
2: takes him a year to actually, and it okay. also, okay, okay. But not actually, cop- But no, the thing I did appreciate, though, was the fact that, like, when he actually is going up against these bad guys, he fails. I mean, like, he, he, he like, you know, kills some of them, but, like, he's not, like, equipped. There's a lot of them.
1: Yeah. Because, but he's not- but he kills a decent amount of them. He still I think He does he does a, he th- he does a he... pretty good job for somebody who had less than a year actually, because he starts training, I think, in like April.
2: No, he's training from one Christmas to the next.
1: No, no, he's not. He's not. Uh specifically, like there are a couple radio cues that tell you when the date is, and he only yeah. begins to start training in April. That's when he starts clearing off the alcohol at his desk. I, I pay it attention.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like the calendar, like montage. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: But but to my point about the violence. I do think that with John Woo, there is a sort of tension in his films because on the one hand, he's a very Christian man, a very religious man who doesn't really approve of violence in everyday life, which I think is part of the reason why I'm able to kind of like brush aside the dicier political elements of the film, because I don't think that it I don't think it's a statement on his view of the world necessarily. But at the same time, he has always just loved action cinema like it's it's it's. Where he found his calling. Anytime he tries to operate outside of the milieu of an action film, it sucked. He's always managed to find this great beauty in violence. And yet, I feel like his films have always been kind of in conversation with that sort of dichotomy um especially something like bullet in the head where like he's doing a full on war movie about the perils of war and you know how evil and uh how affecting it can be how much it can burrow into your psyche and yet he's also putting in some of the most gorgeous action set pieces ever like he clearly wants this to look cool um but where it also
2: comes from like his influence of like um 50s like hollywood musicals that like he cites like you know like they're balletic uh, choreography is what he like brought to the action. Like he sees action as like dance sequences.
1: Yeah. And also like, you know, you see uh Chang Cha in there. You see, I assume King Q. I actually have not seen any King Q since uh, like come drink with me, but all these sorts of uh, all the Hong Kong cinema, like kind of sought to find the beauty in action. And he just kind of dialed that up to 11. But in this movie, because it's so Kind of mercenary, grounded in reality, kind of responding to current trends in action cinema. You don't even really have that, and yeah, that that's kind of the thing that I miss the most watching it. Like you know, when Kid Cudi grabs two guns and starts shooting, it's just another beat of an action set piece. Whereas in all of his previous films, I think even including his American ones, uh, there's always a little more gravity, a little more weight. The action is catharsis. Yes, exactly. To to the point of something that JB said earlier about how John Woo's kind of melodramatic style never really translated well to America. Um, It made me think about kind of the actors that he would have in his films, like in Hong Kong, of course, he would have, you know, Chow Yun-fat or like, you know, Tony Leung. He would have some of the most charming, like, you know, effortlessly leaping off the screen actors ever in his movies. Right. But you look at his American films. Right. And I think what separates the best of his American work from like the weakest ones that he would be working with actors who could kind of operate in that sort of zone of his like they would lean into the sort of like instincts that he has, like, you know, Travolta, Cage, even uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme, I think have certain qualities as performers that allow them to kind of like say these sort of ridiculous things that would sometimes pop up in his films and lend it something or manage to sell it in a way that is off kilter, but still kind of works. The thing is like, you know, Ben Affleck, for example, not the kind of guy who could do that. And with Joel Kinneman, I don't think Joel Kinneman could, even if he was allowed to talk. But because he kind of just has to play up the intensity of this man, and because of the lack of dialogue like i feel like that's another thing kind of clamping down the emotion of this film that might have otherwise been there like those moments that are supposed to be kind of touching for me i just couldn't get into yeah
2: and one thing like, like to your point though about like the emotion through action it's like e- like even like mission impossible 2 which is not a good movie like the scene between like dandy newton um and tom cruise like the slow motion like car scene it is like it's it's supposed to be like almost like this like sex through the cars like even though it's not it's not that like you're you're like they're
1: kind of playing with each other they're seeing through each other uh Mm -hmm. you know in the midst of this Big car chase.
2: And then, the, even like the climactic motorcycle standoff between Cruz and the villain in that movie, there's this like homoerotic like subtext with like their motorcycles like doing wheelies and stuff like that. Like it, it's always there. Like the, emo- well, his- you know,
1: actually, I'll, I'll actually kind of mildly, mildly, and I mean tepidly push back on that in the sense, uh, specifically homoerotic, in the sense that like I think that the thing with Woo is that his emotions are so big and he's so commits to them that like in america we just read it as homoerotic because we don't even have like the capacity to like see a male relationship in any way other than like, gay
2: see the reason why like um basically when i was like, in college and i was thinking like this film class uh this gay film professor when he was going through like homoerotic subtext in movies like he singled out mission impossible 2 in that motorcycle and also And how it relates to like Tom Cruise's like star image at the time and the gay rumors and stuff like that, and the fact that like the villain of the movie in that moment is like also kind of looks like him and stuff like that. Like that Mm -hmm. one, like there's that one is like sort of a little more
1: going on. Yeah, that's fair. But like, that's fair. But I, 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 the only reason I pointed it out is that like I think that it speaks to another aspect of kind of Wu's style that just never fully was able to translate into an American context because we're just so unused to that sort of milieu. Like it can be like, we're so overwhelmed by it that we try to box it in to like kind of American expectations for what a movie can be. And uh, yeah, it, the results always were lesser than the kind of things he was able to pull off in Hong Kong. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I don't, I don't think, I don't think I've even really said yet that I did like the movie. Hell yeah, Silent Night. <laughs> I, oh yeah, yeah, I think, I think I came out a little, I, I, I think I came out of it more like JB did. Like, not, not so that I'm going to give four and a half stars to but like, you know, I had a good enough time. Like, I think the action just kind of kept my attention. And I think the action overall worked well enough for me that like, I came out, you know, just having a good time. I, I Like we talked about with the the killer, like, look, I think I'm just going to as long as he doesn't like totally butcher an action sequence uh, in any important action sequences, I'm going to be I guess I'm going to be there for it. Because like I said, I like the killer. Maybe I didn't like it as much as Josh liked me too, but like, look, I can I can get into his kind of action as long as he's not like confusing me with pot or like a really bad script.
2: By the way, I will come over there and slap the shit out of you if you tell me Silent Night is better than the killer. I will do that.
0: No, 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 no. no. And I, not 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 doing that at all i'm just kind of saying like look i think i'm I'm going to generally be able to get behind him if he has some level of execution in
1: the action sequences well and that, I, does, that does kind of surprise me because i mean i've seen the killer Yeah, but,
0: again, but is it really that surprising when like you know you know it's not as high of a bar from to clear for me well, as it yeah is for you. i think
1: part of the reason why i'm surprised is that you did watch the killer right like before it right Right after, right right after after it. Like, the thing is, I think you have often said that, like, I'm very hard on action movies. And I really don't think I am. I think you are. But the thing is that I grew up kind of watching the kind of the best at it do it. Like, I mean, yeah, when you see, you know, the tea house shootout when you're 12 years old, you know, playing doesn't impress you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, i watching a bunch of John Woo's action films right before going to see Silent Night for me. Yeah, sure. It did kind of weigh mm. down my uh my no it definitely covered your whole opinion i don't think it's like yeah yeah, yeah for sure so but like thing. also i think there is something to be said about how little he's able to bring to the action in silent night versus what he was able to do back in the day i think even paycheck which i think does kind of lack the pathos of even a lot of his earlier american films even that was able to pull stuff off that i was just genuinely thoroughly impressed there's like a big huge car chase that turns into a motorcycle chase that like guns are firing all over the place, you know, actual real practical squibs are going off. And, you know, at one point, they drive on a motorcycle through a pipe, and the camera goes in from the sky in through the pipe with them. And I'm like, "How does he even do that?" You know, in a year, in an age before drugs. You're selling me um, on
2: paycheck. I'm, I'm gonna. <laughs> and, but, am but, I gonna come out of paycheck and be like, "This is a secret masterpiece"?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I hope so, but like, um, I don't think you will. That movie is super convoluted. But at least it did have like ideas, you know what I mean going on there, even if it was only the whiff of like an idea of like can you fight your fate? Um, and here, like the action design is so kind of indebted to like 8711 style of action design. the direction itself is it doesn't feel like a John Wick movie. It's more rough and tumble, it's more gritty and down to earth. but at the same time, I don't know. I've seen this before, like too many to even bear mentioning, to be honest, but yeah, plane came to mind, especially watching it where like, there are some, there's like one or two big action scenes in plane where I'm like, yeah, this is competently made. They're shooting very clearly, you know, the geography, you know where everybody is, but is that, is that all that makes an action scene? Not really. And whereas, you know, if I'm watching just some schmuck, directing their first direct-to-video action film, like something like Mobland, I'm able to go, oh, okay, so you know what you're doing. Let's see where you go from here. John Woo, yeah, 70 years old. Yeah, operating on less of a budget than most, but uh, then he has in the past. But, I mean, he is John Woo. He's a guy who has intimately known kind of action and been able to bring out such great emotion and such great beauty from an action scene from the fucking 1970s. I haven't seen Lasserov Chivalry, but I saw his earlier film, The Hand of Death. Even there, you see his ability to craft something greater from an action set piece than the choreography and where the camera is or whatever. That magic is completely absent from Silent Night. If you told me that Scott Waugh did this, I'd say oh, this is pretty good for Scott. Well, if you told me Jesse B. Johnson did this, I might go, oh yeah, it's pretty decent for, John- for You know, Jesse B. Johnson. This is the god of action. And yeah, I do hold into a bit of a different standard because of it. You know, one thing I do appreciate about the character's choices in the movie and how he goes
0: headfirst into this action, regardless of the quality of how the action is executed, is that I kept thinking throughout the movie that I was maybe conditioned to think that this guy was going to like, you know, have like some real like moral hang-ups at some point or another or really seem to like you know contemplate if this is what he should be doing i kept waiting for that to like really really be something that like gave him pause and like he writes that letter to his wife but other than that like he knows what he wants to do the whole time and i kind of just appreciated that it's like nope this guy knows this guy writes that fucking date on that calendar and he's going for it and he's gonna do it. he's gonna kill and he's not really gonna feel all that bad and i and i just kind of i kind of appreciate it. the movie just made a choice to like not make you like Try and like soften soften the mate Brian for you, or make him like feel super super conflicted or something like that, and make you have to contemplate whether or not what he was doing was okay. It's like, no, we're just gonna present this guy to you, and he's gonna be a man on a mission, and you're just gonna have to watch well, it. Well, see, mm,
1: it. That, see that that's kind of what I'm getting at. Like that, mm-hmm. what you just described is pretty much. Any generic DTV action film ever made in the past, like you know, thirty. I guess, years. I, I
0: guess I guess well,
1: you you watch those, and I don't. So I guess it just feels more novel to me, you know. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's actually a very good point. I'm used to seeing this kind of movie. I've seen this kind of movie. I see this kind of movie all the time. I guess, and I'm used to seeing like actually, I'm used right to, like, after, seeing reluctant heroes. Right after we record this, I have a screener on my you know on my email that I need to see for uh, Fast Charlie, the new. Pierce Brosnan movie that you have never heard of and you will never hear about again. I'm going to watch it and it's not going to be very good, but I'm going to devour it. You know, like I'm going to be perfectly and I'm going to not like it. And yet I'm going to watch the next one that he does. You know, this is just the kind of this is my space. This is the kind of stuff that I actually do get something out of, you know, (laughs) and, you know, when I see John Woo's name plastered at the end of the credits. Yeah, like I, I don't want that. I want just anything else just give me the th- the one thing that makes me excited to go see a movie that is directed by John Woo one of the things just give me any of them and you know there's none of it here
2: hey hey the opening credits when he's like running in slow motion and like it's like him of the chest and you see the like the Christmas sweater or whatever I thought it was good I thought it was impactful
1: well that's because you're watching you're like oh yeah I'm watching his gates huh? <laughs> like how look at that four. <laughs>
2: yeah like again like i'm kind of a little bit with josh where it's like all right if the killer is on one end of the spectrum and taken is on the other end um i kind of will take like a well-directed taken like and and be satisfied with that okay
1: well okay well come on like bad blood it's a real stray for taken oh no taken sucks oh taken sucks okay i didn't know that i didn't i didn't know that was your opinion i'm I'm anti-taken universally yeah yeah, taken is kind of universally considered like a pretty bad action movie if you are like an action head because it's doing i did not know that it's like the kind of great offender for like the kind of quick cutting john wick was like like, you know correction yeah john wick was a course correction for the industry um and even taken it's just going like you know taking the lessons of like the born supremacy and shit like you know further than even green grass could dream of but uh, to your point about like okay well like i'll take a well-directed version of this but but the problem is that i've seen better versions of this this year i mean fuck bad blood the this uh, yeah okay underseen movie it's a vietnamese action film it played for like a week here in orlando but like that movie exists like it is a low budget, a far lower budget than this film, probably like sub a million, maybe even sub a million dollars for all I know. It is just taken. It's just a girl, a guy, his daughter gets kidnapped by some human traffickers and he goes to stop them. And he happens to be a kung fu expert that put away his sword long ago. Like that movie is incredible, but it's doing exciting things within the action. It's doing these grand set pieces that I stuff that I've never seen before. You know, he's getting into a fight with like this all all woman band of musicians who use their instruments as weapons, you know, stuff like that. Like, and like he's moving the camera in a way that like no one else really does. He's kind of harkening back to sort of like old fashioned, like D style action films from Hong Kong in the eighties. And yet he's incorporating kind of new contemporary advances in sort of action design into them. The fact is there's plenty of great action movies that are pushing the genre forward that are, you know, even just solid additions into this sort of canon that aren't directed by the greatest action filmmaker of all time. And so, yeah, when he does one of these things, one of the more middling ones, you know, I'm not that impressed.
0: I guess I, I just came at it obviously from a very different perspective from you as someone that's just much more of a John Wu novice. So maybe, you know, that, 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 that's the answer. If you're trying to decide whether or not to recommend this to people, is this, you know, someone probably has fewer reference points. It's going to seem more, you know, probably worth their time, you know? So, um, Josh, anything about the movie yet? We didn't already touch on that. You wanted to shout out.
2: Um, it's like quick question for you guys. Like, um, mm-hmm. with Kinnaman, um, I thought like, again, Kenemans has been like one of these actors that Hollywood has like tried out, you know, like in the Charlie Hunnam or um, Jai Courtney, like realm or whatever. And just, I don't think anything has clicked
0: Well, he was in the suicide squad with Jai Courtney and then was much better in the suicide squad when, you know, James Gunn kind of, you know, retold that character like he's, he's been very up and down.
2: You know, I thought he was very effective here. You know, he didn't, have to talk but like um i thought he was very effective here i was just wondering if you you think if there was anybody that could have elevated it or like this is what this movie needs
1: uh like i Mm -hmm. mean the role calls for so little like you know this role as written i guess is meant to be a sort of like very intense sort of i don't know just name any actor who can like kind of look really i don't know like fuck frank relo yeah frank relo could have done this uh, Frank
2: Grail, Rail would have been
1: good. You know, just, yeah, just I, I, I'm I'm drawing a blank right now. <laughs> but like, yeah, any I, once we hang up this thread, I'm gonna think of like a dozen different names of Grizzled action stars. I know your number one, what, I know
2: your number one is gonna be Mel.
1: <laughs> oh my god, if this was starring Mel Gibson, you'd be talking to an entirely different person. <laughs> like, would be, I, would I know, like, for
2: you, that'd be like this movie would be 20% better.
1: I'd be saying, fuck the killer. Oh,
2: Jesus Christ.
1: Fuck the killer, you know? Oh, I, by side note, I did note just find out that uh, Joel Kinnaman apparently is an actor in like this series of, I think, like Swedish action films. Uh, yeah, Swedish action films. There's like 11 of these movies. They all look like crap. Um, They all get like twos on Letterboxd. And you know what? this is the kind of thing I will eat up. And I bet you that one of these movies or maybe more than one of these movies has an action scene that's pretty equal to like Silent Night. That's where we're at right now.
0: Daniel, anything else about... About Silent Night that you wanted to touch on before we finish.
1: Um, you know, not a huge fan. Not
0: a huge fan at all. Do you think he can? Do you think? Do you think he can get it back? Do you think we could be be here in four years with a eighty plus year old John Woo? With of course, Josh I obviously have to be here for that one. once he's that, Dude, old, and when you say when you category. said eighty Dude, we, year old
2: John Woo, maybe making a big budget movie, I just got hard. I just got. <laughs> <really good. laughs>
0: I mean, could we
1: be doing an the old guy still got it podcast? You know, he John wants Will, to remake uh, the killer with Lupita. Yeah, I remember hearing that. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's yeah. For peacock. Which, all right. Why not? Like, all right. So here's the thing with John Wu. And here's why, you know, maybe I'm being a little hard on him. The fact is, he arrived at the Perfect time and place. There was no other place like Hong Kong where like, you know, you could uh, 80s Hong Kong where like a name director could make a movie for like under like 10 million dollars and, you know, shoot for like a full year, shoot one action scene over the course of like six months, which the finale of uh, Hard Boiled, I believe took six months to shoot where you had this kind of like homegrown um, you had all these different stuntmen who had come up through the ranks who were hungry who didn't have to worry about you know unions protecting their safety or whatever um, and you could recruit from this you ha- you could pick and choose whoever you wanted that doesn't exist anymore there was only one place it ever did exist and now that that's gone I I just don't really see a world where John Woo at 80 comes back with something that really, truly impresses me. The only possibility would be if, I don't know, went to India, remade a movie there, which funnily enough, side note, you know that Dwar, uh, the Amit- Amitabh Bakshan movie from, I think, 1975, that movie got adapted into The Brothers, a, a Shaw Brothers film, which I don't think was directed by Chang Cha. Mm. It was directed by someone else. But that movie, The Brothers is the inspiration for a better tomorrow
0: okay well yeah i i don't really have a whole lot else on silent night i was i obviously took a back seat on this one i thought you got y'all had y'all had the stronger takes my my, and my take was like you know much less strong more just like you know it's a it's a fine action movie you just want to go see a fun action movie i did not really think that much harder about it and i i i, I, would, I would reiterate what josh said there were moments where i kind of forgot that what they, that they were doing a bit you know and it was just like oh whatever, I'm entertained enough. And it's like, oh wow, and no one said anything still out, there. And so I mean it's it's interesting that they pulled it off and it didn't it didn't feel like they were like, you know, there were a couple points where it's like, yeah, it might have made sense for that character to talk <laughs> here. But like it was never like it never felt like they were straining too much to to be able to keep keep that up. But like there were a couple moments, but like it wasn't like it, it didn't feel like the the bit like you know, overshadow the rest of the movie or anything like that by any means. It's just something that you can kind of say you sat through, and, and, and it's diff- different. So, I mean, it was different. I was entertained enough that it did, didn't have a convoluted plot, and yeah, that, 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 you know, that's enough for me. If you if the if the action is not just absolutely horrible, and oh, to me, one it wasn't. more thing so, actually, uh, yes, this
1: movie did it not look like ass to you, like you well, and JB?
2: No, it I fine. thought
1: it looked pretty fucking terrible. Like I thought that I don't know, I can't exactly put my finger on why but i you know like it 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 just looked ugly and like the color palette the fucking orange over the hanging everything and like i don't know like i just i don't disagree i don't disagree that
0: everything in daylight kind of felt particular way but I kind of I kind of thought I, I kind of just assumed that, okay. We're in just a more industrial area of LA. I'm not probably not supposed to feel that colorful. Yeah, I, was, but I don't I was, know how I was,
1: to I, I don't know enough about the tech stuff. I do know that there are multiple shots that are like just genuinely out of focus, um, which I didn't notice on my hmm. screener, but I didn't notice seeing it in theaters. It just yeah, I just I thought it looked pretty ugly. But of course, it looks ugly in the way that like a lot of the DTV cheaper stuff does. So, you know, it's not remarkable, but like in the eve of Wu, uh, definitely his ugliest movie. All
0: right. All right. Well, uh, that's a take. Uh, uh, Josh, anything you've been watching recently you'd like to recommend to the listeners before we wrap up?
2: You know, like so far, I've liked the uh, movies you haven't covered yet because you're lazy. Um, <laughs> Anatomy of a Fall. That's my favorite movie of the year thus far. Uh, oh, wow. um, May, December. That was pretty, pretty good. good. Call me up uh, for those pods. I, I know that like people are just dying for the holdovers too. So I'll come over there <laughs> and do that one.
0: Well, we haven't. Um, Yeah, I I, I had had tentative uh, guest plan and it just didn't come through yet for anatomy of fault. Might still do that. I will definitely still do it. if he has I did the research,
2: picture. Josh. I did. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, you know, you know, maybe maybe it sneaks in there at the last second and gets the Best Picture nomination, and then, you know, oh, I think it won't it's be in. a punishment. I think it's in. And at that point, well, I mean, I might just – you might be the guy I call on to just – you know, round out my reviews of best picture nominations. And usually that one is like a punishment for someone, you know, someone. Uh, and yeah, I'm pretty sure you've been that guy before for what was it? The father, you know,
1: a movie which I like. Yeah, good but, movie. You know, <laughs> the <laughs> only movie uh, that deserved to be there that shut year. The f-
2: no- oh, wait, it's 2020. Never mind. I thought. <laughs> yeah, 2020.
1: Yeah, you're going to stump for Nomad Land, Mank. Shut the fuck up. Uh,
0: so, yeah, I mean, you know, maybe, maybe you end up being that guy again for what's your favorite movie of the year or something like that. We'll see. So, that, you know, whether or not I end up making the time to do that might depend on whether or not it gets best picture nomination. Uh, but like definitely we'll have something on May, December at some point in the coming weeks. I'm excited to watch that. I would need to rewatch Anatomy of Fall to do a podcast at this point to sharpen my legal takes back up. But, you know, we'll see uh daniel anything you've been watching recently that you I mean you've already thrown out plenty of reference points for the movies you just talked about but anything else you want to reference for the listeners
1: uh yeah it's been like months and months since i've been on here so you know i'm not going to go over all the movies that i've seen since yeah then please that don't I i'm about to fall asleep yeah but um i will say that uh contemporary movies um i really liked live or live which was a um Vietnamese film about mukbang, A very Joseph Kahn esque film, uh, very abrasive. But you know, I will say I I was really quite taken with it. Saltburn, fucking hated. Uh, Empty headed, fucking Emerald Fennell, trying to be transgressive and failing. Hated it, uh, and I hate her now too. Beyond that I do want to give a shout out to Moon Warriors. This was a Sammo Hung film from 1992. It's uh him doing kind of classic wuxia, you know, this kind-hearted fisherman um ends up becoming friends with like the uh uh the emperor who's been deposed by his brother and uh falling in love with his betrothed um very, you know, classic wuxia themes about loyalty and you know duty to one's country and you know friendship and all that jazz um with some incredible action set pieces it's i mean directed by Samuel Hung uh action choreography by like uh Corey Yude and Ching Si Tung. uh operating like visually it looks like nothing else Samuel Hung has done before like i thought it was gorgeous really really loved moon warriors uh, you can find that one on YouTube. Highly recommend.
0: I, I yeah no, I I had muted myself. Another, I called over bretzel. the dog. I, call, I call, No, I called over the dog to say hi. You know, I say hi to the dog. Oh, hello, uh,
1: Frankie. Hello, yeah. Frankie boy.
0: Uh, I I have nothing to recommend. I've on stuff. I because I because I, I just recorded something yesterday and I recommended Dream Scenario, which I saw this weekend and actually really enjoyed. Uh, and I just haven't seen anything new since. And besides the Killer, which we've already talked about, which I think is a good movie, Josh. So, you know, like I said, I plan on watching stuff See, and we'll uh...
2: I'm more mad at Fincher for like being disrespectful and like not changing the title mm. of his movie.
1: Yeah, it does that seem would, a yeah, little bit yeah, yeah. like a ballsy move to call your movie after like, you know, the same name as one of the most heralded action films of all time. Yeah, that, that, I, that, he could have easily found. I mean, if he had just I called mean, it
2: killer, I would have been fine.
1: You know what? I'll say this. The fight scene in the killer better than any of the action here or just or, or just call it, he could have just called it like hitman
0: or something you know
1: um well there there yeah. is also another movie called hitman right the guy of course called, there yeah is. yeah yeah of course there is
0: uh yeah no i don't i i just don't i just haven't really watched a ton of like new stuff the last the last few days so i'm I, i'm all out of recommendations uh, uh uh daniel uh where can people find you uh you're doing more writing
1: now letterbox what wh- do you want to plug uh, yeah you can find me on Letterboxd, felonious funk i've got a backlog of like 26 movies to log or something and i'm writing for disappointment media you can see my review actually of silent i'm mean Silent. yeah silent night i was about to say silent hill silent night there mm. all right josh anything you want to
0: plug Are you back to taking pictures yet you got anything you want to direct listeners to
2: actually yeah like pretty soon i should start posting like stuff on my uh uh, Brown Film Collective Instagram, and you can follow me on Letterbox JKB1626.
0: As usual, I'm Josh Turnovoy, J O S H J U R N O V O I, on Twitter and Letterboxd. I, as I keep saying, I did post all my Letterbox stuff through, I think, July or maybe June, but I have July stuff written. It will be coming at some point. Uh, podcast Twitter is at Round Movie Pod. Podcast uh, email is the Round at gmail.com. Uh, coming up next on the podcast, like I said, we'll have uh, an episode on, I guess, an episode on May, December. Hopefully, something's still on. The new Hunger Games movie. And uh, yeah, uh, so we're going to do Ben Lubin and hopefully Joe for the first time together. We'll probably talk about The Boy and the Heron whenever that actually gets to me. So, uh, yeah, uh, th- I want to thank uh, Josh and Daniel for joining. It was always fun when they can come to and do this with me together. Yeah, It's been I very, it's been you-
1: very long since we've had like, you know, either an old auteur movie or a, a movie about black people. Uh, those are usually what we sign up for. Take that as you're both volunteering to come back for the color purple, right? So, yeah, I'm down. And also, uh, American Fiction. Uh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, like I
0: said, uh, w- w- uh, I know I, th- I mean, that was kind of a joke, but then I re- realized the color purple does the Spielberg connection. So that's actually, you know, <laughs> maybe maybe maybe, so maybe right. an interesting one for JB if he's willing to do it. But we'll we'll we'll, we'll yeah. talk about that offline. Uh, as usual, uh, th- again, thank thank us. everyone else for listening. Thanks, thank you guys for joining. We will see you next time. My man. Daniel's been here three times before. Like, I have stuff. Yeah, like, you do. Dude,
2: your apartment is that of, like, a Michael Mann character from, like, the 80s. I remember when I
0: got remember. I, I remember, out, I remember out, out, asking. And, I remember. an I was, alligator right there.
1: <laughs> uh, I was talking to, to Sarah, and uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm yes. over it, you know, Journal boys and blah, blah, blah and then she was like is it like a male living space i don't know what that. not this it's means. not the, it's not the stereotypical like, one where it's like no furniture i would agree i would agree but then she, i was like i don't know what that means and she said like you know like there's like nothing on the walls and you know blah blah blah, blah. and i was like well i don't see anything wrong with that and her response was oh no <laughs>